Faith stretches us, doesn't it? That's what we're talking about. Stretches us in tough times, tough situations. We, as we talk about this faith, uh, uh, the Bible says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so faith is a stretch of our imaginations to believe that in, in times where we are outside of our comfort zone, we have faith to believe that God is with us and God is always pushing us to reach out beyond our comfort zone. It, it stretches us, as we've talked about, to forget the things that are behind and to press toward the things that are ahead. Faith stretches us to be flexible, to, to have this ability for our hearts and our lives to expand with the gospel when the gospel is given to us. Like new wineskins for the new wine, we're able to embrace the change that God brings into our lives. Faith stretches us to trust God more, to take leaps of faith. And, and even in the waiting rooms of life, faith stretches our patience. Faith stretches us to believe that even though we don't see the results of our prayers right away or life throws us for a loop and life isn't going the way we want, we believe that even in those waiting room times that God has its higher purposes and that God can reshape us and form us for the future plans that God has for us. Today we're going to pick up where we left off last week, talking about Abram, the father of faith, as, as the model of faith in Scripture. We're going to follow his story where we left off last week when Abram and Sarai weren't able to conceive, and so they took things into their own hands. God had promised Abram that he was going to have land. He was going to be the father of many children, whose children and their children would develop into this nation that would be a mighty nation that would be a blessing to all the other nations, and all the nations on earth would be blessed through him. And so Abram left his homeland to follow God's calling, and things just weren't working out. And 10 years into this plan, they're in the land and no baby, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week, but um, we're going to talk about the results of what happened when Sarah decided to take things in her own hands and convinced Abram that this was a good idea, that he should father a child through her surrogate, uh, through a surrogate, which was a slave of Sarah's. Hagar was her name. And I want to follow Hagar's story because I think it sheds light on the nature of God's love for outsiders. And that's where the stretch is today, that God stretches us to love those that are outside of our, our circle. In other words, it stretches us to love the outsider. And, and several years ago, I spoke on this, and I'm, I'm kind of reviving some things I said back then uh, about God's love for the outsider. So think about it for just a minute. Everybody, in some ways, is an outsider. Think about that, right? I mean, an eighth-grade girl comes home from school, or parents sit her down and say, we have some good news and bad news. I got a promotion Bad news is we have to move. So this girl that's in junior high or middle school all of a sudden goes from an insider in the school where she is to going to a new school where she's immediately the outsider. Um, a retiree, a guy, he just retired, he's been an insider in his business, life has gone well, he's been able to save and retire, and he and his wife have great plans to how they're going to spend their golden years and shortly after retirement, she feels a lump and realizes, gets it examined, and it's cancer. And unfortunately, she doesn't survive. 
And so here's a guy that was an insider with his wife and their family and their friends and their circle and his business, and all of a sudden he loses his, he doesn't have his job anymore, he doesn't have a spouse anymore, and he went from an insider to an outsider. You know, an awkward kid has a difficult time picking up social cues, and in his home, his parents understand they love him unconditionally, and he thrives as long as he's within his family. But when he gets to school, because of his awkward social skills, he gets picked on and he gets bullied. He's an insider at home. He's an outsider at school, right? We all have these, these ideas. You know, a young mother's husband leaves her. She was an insider with their group of friends in their church, and all of a sudden now she's divorced, and people don't know how to handle that, and she becomes an outsider all, all, uh, immediately. And older adults feel like they're outsiders in popular culture. Right? I mean, we just, older folks, I don't pick up on, I watched the Grammys this year, a little bit. It's like, who are these people? I used to know everybody that was getting Grammys. I don't even know who these people are anymore. I'm an outsider to pop culture, and, and I feel like that. And yet again, those who knew everything about popular culture know nothing about the civil rights movement, know nothing about the arms race, know nothing about Cold War. They know nothing about Vietnam and living through that era. They're outsiders to my world. Everybody's an insider to some worlds and an outsider to other worlds. True? We're all one or the other. We know that feeling, and nobody likes to be the outsider. Nobody likes to be the outsiders. Because insiders enjoy the privileges and the pride of being on the inside. Insiders are the scorekeepers, the keepers of record. They're the ones that determine who gets to be in and who's on the out. And this insider-outsider mentality leads to all kinds of problems. Insiders exclude. Insiders vilify. Insiders can be so strong in their beliefs that they would dehumanize those that are not like them, that are on the outside, even to the point where they might even exterminate those that are on the outsiders. They can justify it because of their insider-outsider mentality. But how does God feel about the outsider? That's the question. What does God think about the person that's on the outside? And I want us to look at Hagar's story because I think it's included in the Bibles for this very reason to teach us about God's concern for such an outsider. So Genesis chapter 16, beginning verse 1, this is where we were last week. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. A disgrace in that culture. You're married, your job is to have kids because kids are the sign of wealth in that culture. The more kids you have, the more wealthy you are. What a switch, right? <laughs> Nowadays, kids are too expensive. They, they make you poor. But in that culture, that was, your, that was your sign of wealth, the more kids that you had. And so, so uh, Abraham, she, or Sarai couldn't bear children. So, so she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. She said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. You realize this child would be Sarai's child because Hagar would be a surrogate mother for her. Sounds like a good idea. Abram agreed to her plan, Hagar to be the surrogate, for her to build a family with Abram's child. Well, let's 
See how that went. After Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar. She conceived. And then when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms. Now that she knows that she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Look at the wedge between them. It's all your fault, Abram. You've got to see the humor in these stories. And Abram said, your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you wish. And so Sarai mistreated Hagar and she fled from her. Abraham, he said, yes, dear, whatever you say. You do with her. So notice, Hagar despised Sarai. Why? I mean, we, did, we looked at this in my small group on Wednesday night and asked the question, who's the bad person in this story? And a lot of people say, well, Sarah was. But Hagar also was despising Sarai. Why? Well, maybe she felt like it wasn't her choice to become pregnant. Maybe she felt like she didn't have a voice in whether she wanted to be married to Abram. Maybe she didn't like being somebody's property to be bought and sold and used as somebody else sees fit. So she despised that, and here she is pregnant, and it wasn't her choice. Maybe, or maybe she became prideful because she had something that her owner didn't have, and that was even more valuable to her. Sarai then misused Hagar, and then Hagar fled. But in this, notice the insider-outsider thinking that's going on here. Because Sarai was the insider with Abram, right? She was his wife. But then again, she was an outsider to God's promises to be a mother of Abram's child. Hagar was an outsider with Abram, but became an insider when she was able to become pregnant with his child. And so Hagar flaunted her insider status before Sarai, And so Sarai retaliated by forcing Hagar to be an outsider again and made and cast her out. And so Hagar couldn't handle the abuse and fled from Sarai. Do you see that insider outsider thinking and how that just causes so many problems? I mean, anybody that's ever been through junior high know what's that like, right? So notice verse 7, chapter 16, Genesis. The angel of, and so Hagar flees. She goes out, and she's out in the middle of nowhere. But the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that's beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? And Hagar answered the first question. She said, I'm running away from my mistress. But she didn't answer the second question, where you're going, because she had nowhere to go. So here she is. She's all alone, rejected by Sarah, unprotected by a husband, pregnant, nowhere to go, no one to help her. But God saw her. And God sent an angel to her. God sees the outsider, cares for the outsider, reaches out to the outsider, and goes to her. But then notice what it says. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. God's not done with you. Yes, it might not be pleasant to go back to Sarai, 
But even in the unpleasantness, I promise you, I am going to bless you with many descendants. And really, wasn't that the promise that God gave to Sarah, that she was going to have many descendants? But really, it was a promise to Abraham. The promise was never given to Sarah. The promise was to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. But here, he's saying to Hagar, you're going to be this. You're going to have a child that's going to be the parent of many descendants, and they will be a mighty nation. But she goes on, and the angel says to her, but you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. And Ishmael literally means God hears. God hears me. When I'm all alone, when I'm out there, God hears me. I'm going to name this kid. God hears me. God hears He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Insider, outsider. He's going to be forced to be an outsider. And because of that, there's going to be hostility between he and the insiders. And she gave his name this name to the Lord who spoke to her. She, she named the Lord who spoke to her. The angel came speaking to the Lord. and She said, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. And that's why the well is called Bir Lahai Roy, which is still there. And that name literally means the well of the living one who sees me. I love to see the names of God in, this, in, in the Torah, the different names for God. Because that's how God is revealing himself to these people. And he's revealed himself to Hagar as the God who sees, the God who hears. This is the God who cares for me when nobody else cares. Who sees me when nobody else sees me. Who understands me even though nobody else understands me. This is the God who reaches out to her. And so God has his eye on the outsider. God cares for the outsider. And then reading on, it says that Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Notice it's Abram's son that she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar was born to Ishmael, or when Hagar bore bore him Ishmael. So reading on, and and, uh, if you look in your Bible, Genesis chapter 17, 14 years later, 13, 14 years later, Ishmael now is a young boy, still the only son of Abram. God comes to Abram and says, Abraham, no longer you're going to be Abram, you're going to be Abraham. Your wife, Sarah, is no longer going to be Sarah. is going to be Sarah, changes their names and talks about what that means. I will bless her. I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her, meaning Sarah. And Abram fell face down and he laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? By the way, Isaac, the son that came from her, his name means laughter. And Abram said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Did you get that? Abram loves his son Ishmael. He's 14 years old, his only boy. If only Ishmael could have your blessing. And God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will also bear, will bear you a son, and you'll call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. 
I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers, and he will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. God said, I have a plan for Ishmael also, and I have a plan for Isaac. And so Abram and Ishmael were 99 and 13 years old, and God said, this is the covenant that you will make with me, and the sign of that covenant is circumcision. And what an odd sign for a covenant. Can we all say that's pretty odd when you think about that? The meaning of that pretty much, as I understand it, is Abram and Ishmael are going to say, we will cut off a part of our body as a sign of our obedience to you, and may we be cut off if we do not keep the covenant that you made with us. So it's a sign, self-saying, we are not, we're going to do this to say that we're not going to be cut off from you. By the way, Hebrews weren't the only people that practiced this circumcision in those days. Anyhow, so, so there they are, um, and, and, and Abram and Ishmael are both circumcised on the same day. Talk about a bonding experience, right? <laughs> Father-son bonding experience. And Ishmael became the patriarch of Abraham's Arab family. And Isaac was born later. We'll get to that next week. And Isaac became the patriarch of Abraham's Jewish family. So Abram became the father of the Arabs. Abraham was the father of Jews. How well have they been getting along ever since? Insider, outsider mentality. So chapter 21 tells the story. Isaac is born and Ishmael then is exiled. And when you're exiled, the results of that are what? Anger, frustration, hatred, war. Sarah felt scorn from Hagar, so she made Abram send Hagar and Ishmael away for good. It says that Abram in chapter 21 is so distressed because he loved his son Ishmael, and God promises that he'll care for Ishmael. And when the water supply runs out, God gets them to a well. And most, chapter 20, 21 says, God was with the boy Ishmael as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer and on and on. So what's the big point here? The scriptures are full of stories of God showing concern and even favoritism to the outsider. And God instructs God's people to do the same throughout the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures, the Old and the New Testament as we call them. There are instructions for people to welcome the foreigner, to be kind to the outsider, to show hospitality to the other, to show this care and concern. It is a, it is a core value in Scripture. Yes, there are wars. Yes, there are things that, 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 that are unlike that. But the heart of God is that there would be this sense of the outsiders would be welcomed in. And even in the New Testament, we see that. Why is it then that we, and so not just we, but everybody, are so quick to draw lines around who's in and who's out? I mean, religious people, I think, especially are prone to this. Christians and others are obsessed with drawing lines of demarcation between the lost and the found, the saved and the damned, who's in and who's out. And this chronic temptation and sin of insiders 
presumes that the insiders are superior to the outsiders. And to our peril, we ignore and we shun and we vilify those who aren't like us as strange and unworthy and dangerous and unclean. And we smugly think that because they don't see it the way we see it, that they are evil and something to be feared, and we are good and something to to use power over. And I think that the world is constantly in a state of war because of the powers that be that are behind this insider-outsider thinking. Does anybody else see that thinking, see what that causes? If xenophobia is the fear and hatred of outsiders, God is a xenophile, a lover of outsiders. Xenophilia. Can't, don't like people like, like me. Or xenophilia is the love of, of, of outsiders, as I said. And God loves the rejects. God loves the outcasts. God loves those who society discards and leaves on the outside. In fact, would you not agree that God's whole plan for leaving heaven and coming to earth is motivated by his love for those who were separated from him? Isn't that the gospel? Is God left heaven and came to earth so that we who were on the outside might be welcomed to the inside of God's blessing? Isn't that the whole root of what Jesus came? Notice Ephesians 2 says, don't forget that you Gentiles, that's us, used to be outsiders. You lived in this world without God, without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, You are citizens along with all God's people. You are members of God's family. Ah, I was lost. I was bound by sin. I was far from God. And God could have said, good riddance. But no, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus. Jesus epitomized love for the outsiders. In fact, isn't that Jesus's, the, the bad reputation that Jesus had in his culture was he's a lover of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of sinners. And sinners in their minds were the outsiders. If you were a Samaritan, you were a sinner. If you were a Gentile, you were a sinner. If you were a tax collector, you were a traitor, you were a sinner. If you were a prostitute, you were a sinner. If you were this... You were an outsider, and as a result, we can stone you. As a result, we can hate you. As a result, we can, we, can, we can do everything to say that you don't belong. And yet Jesus reached beyond all the boundaries of those who were on the outside and touched the lepers and forgave the sinners and, and, and healed the sick and told stories about, about Samaritans who were the good guys in the stories and not the bad guys in the stories and touched the woman at the well, and, 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 and I'm sorry, he, he welcomed the woman at the well and reached beyond the boundaries. On and on and on, we see Jesus preaching a gospel of inclusivity, but the church has a way of using the gospel to exclude people. Exclude people. And yet his whole message was about welcoming the outsiders in. 
This message, this love for the outsider, should be what defines the church. It's been said that it's not so much that God has a mission for his church, God has a church for his mission. It's his mission that is first and foremost, not the church. Being that we are the church doesn't justify us calling God to perpetuate our racism and our prejudice and our hatred of the outsiders. We don't use God for our mission. God uses his church for his mission to break down the walls, to break down the barriers, to reach the people that are unlike us so that they might find the love of God who loves the outsiders. It means that the church should be living for the outsiders as Jesus did. Notice what it says in Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think if that was a modern translation, it would say, let your status updates always be full of grace and not hatred and not pridefulness and not ugliness so that people can look at you and say, why are you like that? Because I know a God who loved me when I was a sinner because I am saved by grace, and I'm no better than you are, and I just believe that God loves us and wants us to be transformed by forgiveness and grace and love. And that's the kind of God that I fell in love with because Jesus showed me that that's what God's like. And I love Jesus so much, and he loves you so much. And he wants us to be vessels of peace and not hatred to be tools of reconciliation and not perpetuating the same old, same old powers that be that create hatred and ugliness in the world. And you know what? Where does it start? From the top down? No. It's a bottom-up thing. It's God's people saying, I'm going to break that cycle. I'm going to do something different about it. Let us not become like the Pharisees who are all about drawing the line of who's in and who's out, but may we be like Christ. You know what? We're going to get into a series after this one following the early church, and you will notice in the early church, the day of Pentecost, God gave them the ability to speak in the unknown languages of the visitors, of the outsiders who were in Jerusalem so that the outsiders could hear them praising and glorifying God. It was all about the gospel spreading outside of Jerusalem and then all about it spreading outside of Judaism to the Gentiles. That's the whole flow of Christianity is this contagious idea that there is a God who died for the sins of the world, me the chief of them. And I believe in that kind of a God. Amen? Does that mean you love evil? No. Does that mean you justify bad behavior? No. But you don't become evil in the process of seeing evil in others. Amen? Yeah, we can hate the, the ISIS people. We can hate what they're doing. We can, we, but we don't want to become them, do we? Absolutely not. 
That's dangerous, this insider-outsider thinking. But when you get it, you realize, I was an outsider. God took me in. That's what God wants me to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're an outsider. Maybe an outsider to this church. Maybe an outsider in your home, an outsider in your work. Maybe just outside of culture and society in general. And you don't know if anybody cares. I want to tell you without any level of doubt whatsoever that God sees you. God hears you. God understands, and God loves you. And he proved it over and over and over, most of which when he sent Jesus and he became one of us to show us what God was like. There are no outsiders. Anybody that would turn to God is welcomed in. And maybe today is your time to turn to God. Say, Jesus... I I have a lot to learn and I don't know it all I don't understand it all but I just believe that this is the kind of God that you are like and I want Jesus and I need Jesus I need forgiveness I need to be welcomed I need to know what love from God is unconditional love is like Jesus I open my heart to your love I open my heart to your grace and your forgiveness take me Jesus take me in you said you knock at the door and anybody who opens the door you would welcome them and you would come in and be family to them maybe you're here this morning and you've been all worried about who you don't like who you're mad at who's who's wrong and you're right so proud of the fact that you have it right and God's humbling you today and you need to say Jesus forgive me for that forgive me for fearing those who don't think like me, who don't vote like me, who don't look like me, forgive me for hating people that don't believe the way I believe God forgive me give me a love for those that your kind of love may be genuine, God. Help me. Transform me. Humble me, I pray, O God. That we might have the faith that is stretched to believe that a God that loves outsiders wants his people to love outsiders too. In the name of Jesus, help me to begin conversations with people. Help me not to fear people. Help me to open doors. Help me to... to, to build relationships. Help me to listen and understand so that I might be understood and heard. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.